BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, and welcome to the SupDoc podcast one-year anniversary episode show. I am Paco Romain. I'm George Chen, and joining us from Berkeley is Will Scoville. Hey, guys. Hey. And uh, so we did about eight episodes, uh, just Paco and I, mostly recorded uh, at at Paco's house, and then we brought Will in to produce, and that was the Brent Hodge, I'm Chris Farley episode. Yeah, yeah. Episode nine. <laughs> and I I feel like we've all learned a lot since, like, we're up to, th- this is like episode 31, so we've done wow. a lot. Yes, we have. <laughs> um, and what a year. What a, it's been fantastic. Like, I, I never, I didn't think, well, I don't even know how to say this, because I'm just really proud of this podcast. It's great. I love it, and it's great that we have people that really dig it and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten great reviews on iTunes and some texts and some tweets that people have sent us. So people are really liking the podcast, and and uh, it makes me extraordinarily happy. I think it's great. Yeah, I've had a good year. I like booking guests. I like talking to new people. I like finding out information that I did not know. And, uh, yeah, I've been, like, liking working in a collaborative situation with Paco and Will. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a fun year for me. Uh, the first time we did this, we did a thing that people say to do with the podcast, which is you bank three episodes and then you put them all at the same time. So that's what we did, and it's been growing pretty steadily since then. The idea behind that was also just, like, I think, like, proof of concept so people knew what the show was going to be like and that we knew what the show was going to be like. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's evolved a bit over the, over the year, but, uh, I think we have it. We, you know, we're figuring out as we go yeah. along. Yeah. And thankfully we have Will to help us out and, uh, he's doing, done a great job in editing and producing and just having the right equipment to make us sound better. And knowing like when our bullshit has gone on too long. <laughs> I think that's like the, the key is to have, a third person who's not on mic to like be like, oh, this is this is a time for this to stop. <laughs> yeah, let's, it's been very useful. Let, let's stop, let's stop this madness. And also, <laughs> like we we went from like not knowing how to put a podcast together and then going to SoundCloud, and now we're with Art Nineteen, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes like uh, tomfoolery. I, it's not <laughs> even tomfoolery. It is. There's a lot to putting together these things, and there's yeah, a lot of man hours lot of that go in. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and there's and the problem is is there's not one place to go to to like learn everything. Uh, no. it's, it's such a like a cobbled together industry uh, and it's so new. Uh, you know, that it's just you got to kind of like grab things and this and every new show I do is like grabbing new pieces of information and new ways yeah, of doing absolutely. things. And um I, I don't know a lot of people don't probably don't know that like when I originally came up with this idea for this podcast, I had asked my buddy and comedian and legendary mentor to a lot of people. Oh yeah, definitely a mentor to a lot of people. Mr. Jimmy Gunn, uh, who is a comedic legend in the Bay area. Unfortunately and sadly he passed away last year, way too young, way too early. Uh, but he had had some health complications and he was like, you know what? I can't do the podcast. He was a huge documentary fan. Uh, and he actually gave me a list of great documentaries to watch. And um, thankfully, I was able, George was able to say, yes, I'll do it. And yeah. he came aboard, and it's been really cool. Yeah, I have uh, watched a lot more docs than I had previously. I mean, it's really hard to just 
watch things these days because also things disappear from the services so fast. That is true. Like I've been like we've done shows. It's like it's on Netflix. Then we put out like a week later. And it's like it's off Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it's like what long. happened? Uh, but HBO has been really coming through. Uh, all the new true crime stuff has really been a boon to the entire industry. Yeah. I think, and actually, just the streaming model is really what's making the uh, there there there's more of an audience for documentaries now because of the streaming model. Absolutely, it's, documentaries have never done great theatrically, no. it, bearing a few exceptions. Did you see that list I sent of like the top 100 did, yeah. U.S. Uh, documentaries? Like, I think. Fahrenheit and 9-11 is like the the yeah. top one. Yeah, wow. then, Moore has yeah. A, a few in the top ten. And then a bunch of nature stuff. Yeah. A lot of nature stuff and a lot of like pop music stuff. Yeah, Planet Earth was a big one. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's what got me interested. I was once, I, I've been a huge documentary fan since uh, my freshman year in college when I saw Marjo, which is a great documentary. And I saw, about two years ago, I saw this list called the PBS 100 Greatest Documentaries and they had little check marks on their website where mm-hmm. you could mark off what you've seen and I decided to watch all of them and then I was trying to find people to talk to them and I'm like man people really dig like really interesting people seem to really dig documentaries mm-hmm. and I was like there needs to be a podcast and I just wanted to listen to a podcast where I could hear people talking about docs and I couldn't find one yeah and I was like well hell I'm gonna start my own because I love it right I, I think like just that wanting to have that conversation that conversation you have with anyone after a movie yeah is like this is a perfect format for doing that kind of thing um, I would say like Michael Moore is a big inspiration for me in terms of documentaries. Like, you know, Roger and me, it was a huge genre breaker. I yeah. think it broke, broke things open. And, um, yeah, so I've been really liking the very weird documentaries, like things I hadn't heard about. Like, I think we're alone now, right. which is the Tiffany obsessives documentary. Yes. Uh, like those kinds of things I think are really fun that we've done a lot of music stuff. I feel like there's, I think the music stuff we've done has all had like a good story arc to it. I mean, I guess Gimme Shelter is a little bit of a weird one, but I mean, it definitely has an arc to it. It has sure. like, but, um, it's classic. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's definitely, there, there's some, I think there's like a wave of, of music documentaries that are very just fan love letter things, but something that actually digs into an actual story, I think is like what we want well, yeah. with these things. That's and what I, I love about, uh, uh, Gimme Shelter was that it was kind of happening. It was made at the time, you know, it was being shot at the time of that concert. Yeah. The, um, yeah. So it was a very right now documentary versus a looking back on that concert from 25, 30 years. Right. You know, it's later. not right. It was of the moment and it had that mm-hmm. visceral reality to it. And we recorded that conversation in the same location yes, that yeah. was supposed to be uh, pre-Altamont. It was supposed to be in Golden Gate Park. Yeah, episode 11 with uh, musician Dan Deacon that we recorded at Outside Lands. And, funnily enough, our producer, Will Scoville, uh-huh. could not get in for quite a while. Yeah, that was yeah. really cutting it close. Will, what do you remember of that day? Um, well, we got there and we got our VIP badges um, but, we all had VIP badges. Right, but I had like a, a bag full of recording gear. Going oh, yeah. In, going into a music festival. <laughs> they were like suspicious of that. And we didn't have press badges. And it kind of took them a while to finally like just let me know that, hey, like if Dan or his publicist who set up everything just came over and said, let him in, they would have just let me in. Um, yeah. because they had a higher profile badge than we had. Um, yeah. but it ended up being like an hour or so of us just like kind of going back and forth, trying to figure out how to get me in. I'm like, yeah, I was really worried. We're going to just end up doing it on our, on my phone. And it was going to sound like garbage. Yeah. And I, I took, I actually took a picture of me inside the festival and you outside the gates, just yep. looking in like a puppy <laughs> wondering who was going to take you home. <laughs> and yeah because it was also like a, a shitty day to do any parking when outside lands was happening like you oh, said yeah. we were all we took like a lift there yeah yeah and one of one of my favorite moments from that is that during our interview uh dan talks about we talk about the doors for a second oh yeah and then after our interview during his show yeah he comes out and writes the doors now appearing he writes the doors in tape yeah, uh, over the Dan Deacon sign that the festival gives him. And I, we were literally standing next to some, like, 19-year-olds who were like, 
oh man, I thought it was going to be Dan Deacon. I guess I'll leave. Like, I'm like, uh, no, you should stay if you thought the doors were going to play. Like, that's insane. Well, they thought Dan was some stagehand that was yeah. coming out. And we're like, sorry, Dan Deacon canceled. Like, now it's the doors. He, but that's great. He actually literally weeded out some dumb people out of his <laughs> yes. show. Yes. But um, no, thanks to Carolyn Barola, who was Dan's publicist. And also, turned out, she was a publicist for all of Outside Lands. That's how we got in. Oh, so okay. she came and pulled heavy rank on that. Um, that's cool. But yeah, th- that's a challenge. Doing like uh, on location interviews is really is really a new thing. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me, the first thing we did outside of the apartment was we talked to Jody Willey right. at the SF International Film Festival, yeah. which was, uh, I you know, we had only put out three episodes and then we're like getting credentialed and hanging out at the SF International Film Festival. It felt pretty it was very crazy cool. and legit. Like, oh my God, we got real crazy legit right away. Yeah, and she was so nice and charming and fun. And um, we went into the offices there and got to talk to her. And mm. she wanted to talk about the Source family, which I had just seen like a few months beforehand. Yeah. It's such a great documentary. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was episode four. And she's... I th- uh, like is happening with some other there's a couple other documentaries where the same creative team behind it ends up doing a fiction version like that's sort of happened with I just saw the uh, Frank and Cindy documentary oh, right. have you, I, haven't I haven't seen, seen that. I watched the fiction version before I haven't watched the doc yet but I just figured that might be a better order to watch it in gotcha. um, and they're doing that with uh, Deep Water they're doing the, the Crowhurst story Donald Crowhurst. Right. They're doing a fiction oh, wow. version of that too. Bend so, that. which is going to be, that's coming up. Uh, th- here's the thing, guys. So, we bank a lot of these episodes because uh, I now live in Los Angeles. Paco's kind of up and down mm-hmm. between, and Will's still in Berkeley. So, we are just kind of uh, doing these when we can, and we get them out every two weeks on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've had extra episodes have kind of popped up in different time periods, like the San Francisco 2.0 episode, because actually we wanted to get out before the election happened. Mm -hmm. Not that we gave anyone an election bump, but it just like, (laughs) just because it was relevant at the time. Um, Speaking of that, we're going to play a bunch of clips. Do you, I could actually introduce this clip from San Francisco 2.0. If you want to get into that right now. Let's do it. Yeah. So this is uh, episode 15 we watched Alexandra Pelosi's San Francisco 2.0, and this is the first time we did a live show. And it's hard to know with this show how to tell people what's happening because I think some people think it's going to be like a movie riffing show, like we're going to watch a documentary and then just make fun of it while it's happening, which could be a really fun format to do, but it's not what we're doing. So that was a short enough one. That's like a 40-minute doc. So we showed it. And the afternoon during a street festival on Valencia. Yeah. And then we sc- we screened it in Last Week in Video's basement. Rip. R.I.P. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so that's also, I think, relevant to why I have some sentimentality about this episode and this clip. It's like, it really is a very distinct snapshot of San Francisco in, like, 2015. Where, like, everyone's talking about gentrification. Everyone's, like, just concerned about what's happening. And... This movie comes along on HBO, and it's kind of cheesy. It's not. It's got a lot of problems, I think, as a doc. But it does this. We used it as a launching point for a conversation about San Francisco and about gentrification and about the tech boom. And so we had three guests on the show. It was uh, Adam Fowler, who's the owner of Last Weekend Video, drummer for Jawbreaker, uh, and Kasim Bentley, hilarious comedian, uh, San Francisco legend. And Amy Farr-Weiss, who's an old friend of mine who was actually running for mayor as an independent candidate and just wanted to... There was a trifecta of people running against Ed Lee uh, in that election. I and mean, it was like... Uh, I forgot the third guy. It was like Stuart Schaffman and Amy Farr-Weiss. And uh, she, you know, makes... So she makes a lot of kind of like very specific dated points in this because it has to do with the election. But I think overall you get to see like... This utop, like, not utopian really, but like just like a progressive vision for San Francisco, and we wanted to like also, you know, talk about gentrification. And Kasim's a San Francisco native, so I think this is an interesting clip to show right here. So this is from episode fifteen, our live show, San Francisco two As a native of San Francisco, San Francisco, and a person who I was always told that this was coming, and I didn't believe it. And now watching in real time, it was very depressing to me because I saw it three times and today. 
Uh, and, <laughs> and I like to do things. What was the first time? Uh, the first time was like nine this morning, right? And, uh, and the second time when I was washing dishes, uh, then I had to go do something. Uh, then I came back and I, I watched it again. And I, I okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with this podcast. Because uh, I usually oh, lie, good, I lie good. on most of them. <laughs> Mark Marin knows. <laughs> so, is that I got really upset the second time I was watching it because, like, I mean, to the point I was just really just like fucking shit. Like, it's, it gets it felt like. Well, first it was. Too, I liked it. I liked it, but I felt though that it was one of those one of those documentaries where it, there was no solution. And you just feel like it's all going bad. It's going to be in flames, right? And I, but I, I respect uh, the director for going after the main fat cats. And the fact that she actually got, got all those people, you know, and that was amazing to answer the questions. But it seemed like it was a very good tech versus bad tech, or it was all bad, or gets all bad tech. And I know people who work in tech who are some of them, uh, you know, do make a difference. Some of our best friends. Some are, so so <laughs> I'm thinking about work on tech. <laughs> Can someone make a shirt of that right there? It's like, only black people wear it. <laughs> some of my best friends are in tech. I mean, some of my best friends code. You know, <laughs> but it is it is it is great. It was great. But he, I think they could have touched on a lot. I mean, I know I did. Oh, shocked it was a half an hour. That was amazing. I thought it could have been an hour or more. Uh, just given the fact of just all the smaller issues that are ha- happen uh, with that, meaning like when we talk talk about housing, because I work in housing, right? And I see what happens with the raising of the rents and what all the um, and what happens to uh, the relationship with people. Because they talked about what happens to the businesses and you know about how people don't care, but there isn't there is a prevailing attitude that happens where people just do feel like, well, I'm not a, I don't mind a part of it, and you know, I mean, I can't do anything, and that goes to a larger issue, which because I work with these people, so I see that what the for the future of this city is not just all about you know the uh, about it's not just all just about the the industry expanding and. You know the buildings or anything. It's really about for me. It was more about the people and how it's leading to the destruction of the people. And I kind of that's what was scary to me. You know, because I'm just coming from like a barbershop perspective. Right? You know, I'm just kind of <laughs> I'm coming just from what I see talking to people. And I do sense in this city that there are no. It's not just the fact that there are all these tech people. It's just the fact that it's a kind of person. That's running around because they're strangers. They haven't been here long enough to feel the empathy. You know what I mean? That where people walk around, they weren't around to see like this. You know, like the the shoe guy in Mission Street turn into an, an ATM or something, or they ever seen a you know whatever like a center turn into like a fusion restaurant or some bullshit. You know, it's just the fact that it's going to take time. And I think that I wish the documentary could have looked at you know other ways because there's there happens there are people trying to bridge the gap. You know, and that can be dangerous. But I also feel like there are other people who. How should I put this? There are people who. How should I put this? There are people in this city who can give a great perspective of what, um, what, what can be like. Okay. Now, can I like? Sorry, I just rushed to get here. So I, I got stuff. Is that what it is? Like, there's a lot of people in this city who care. I mean, a lot. But then there's a lot of people here are so angry that they don't talk about all the time what's happening. Like 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 people who are starting to become very violent in this city for people in tech. I've I've seen fights break out. You know I've seen people just get threatened. I've seen tech bros talk getting angry with other tech bros. You know what I mean? Which is kind of fun to see. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it's like just a bunch of collared shirts running around. <laughs> but but it's so funny about how the city is imploding. Where people who are at certain levels of the tech world. They're not being able to afford the apartments they thought they were going to get, you know? And that was the part to me. I was like, man, if she, they could talk about that because that's why I feel the future is going to lead to where it's going to – I feel like it's going to burst, but no one's really ready for that. So mm. you're going to have all these guys with these laptops running around like, I remember it was 2015, man. <laughs> the good old days. Now I'm in an SRO and my friend Whiskey Pete is the only guy around here. <laughs> Cassine, Whiskey. Uh, I'm gonna break, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, interrupt for a yeah. second. I'm gonna go to Adam, but because we're gonna get yeah, back to uh, to all that stuff, and we'll we'll ask you even more questions about that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to Adam now. Yeah, I I just saw, I saw it twice, and um, I felt validated when I was watching it because mm-hmm. we have some of those conversations upstairs at the shop every single day. Um, but I agree 
with Cassine that it should have been longer. I, when I heard that oh. Pelosi's kid made a documentary it was going to be on HBO, I was looking forward to like Game a, of Thrones, a, a feature. <laughs> I wanted a, a mini series. <laughs> yeah, when the dragons come to us. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about, and um, and for people who don't know, your your store is located in the heart of the mission, which was part of the documentary. Yeah, I was offended that. That we weren't featured. Actually. Yes, <laughs> you should have. Actually, I could have used the business. I mean, I don't know how many people are renting DVDs out there, but probably fewer and fewer. People that love podcasts, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been we've been here for eighteen years. Okay. And we've seen people come and go. We were here for that right. first round, and then mm-hmm. and that was that was a little bit more turbulent. I remember people slashing tires and SUVs getting their windows smashed. And it was a little bit more pushback against the revolution than there is now. Um, Now it's not uncommon to see a couple of Teslas cruising down Valencia and then leaving their windows wide open. That's a, that's a call to uh, action. You guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy to piss into a car when the window is right open. Um, hey, hey man, how'd you get arrested, dog? <laughs> man, I went here for murder. <laughs> What'd you do? He peed in a Tesla. I peed in a Tesla. Did you, did you electrocute him? It had a Calvin sticker on the back. I had to do what it said. He, now he's the leader of the prison gang. <laughs> Peeing in SUVs, Paco. Have you ever done that? I've wanted to, but I have not, no. I think we should make a... If anyone wants to make a fan t-shirt for the show, it will be huh. Paco's head on a Calvin Pissing on an ah, SUV, nice, and then they'll just say "sup doc" in, in the RIP font, an old English yeah. font on the back window of the right. SUV. I think we're gonna make that button. We yeah. can make a hat. Now you were asking me. I mean, one thing that we were talking about before was like our the name of the show, and um, ori- oh yeah, originally it was gonna be. I had two ideas for the name, which was "What's up, Doc?" question mark and "Doc Talk." And I didn't want Doc Talk because it sounds way too like a film Clinical. Class, yeah, yeah, that you would take. And, and I wanted this to be mo- not like film scholars, but like I wanted to be like comedians who were talking to really interesting people about their favorite docs. And that's essentially what it is. But yeah. I wanted people to know that it was like a funny show that where we talk about documentaries. And we went through a lot of logos. That yes. was like a whole. <laughs> we did. We have you logos. if you can like you Google image like the weird history of Subdoc logos. So I don't know if people even know what our current logo is referencing. Oh there's yeah, there's like kind of like some there's some like Easter eggy elements to That's this true. Uh, because it's an ep- episodes we haven't on docs that we haven't even done yet. Yeah. Uh, should we give away the secrets? Yeah. Sauce. Sure. So the idea was uh okay uh the movie that we interviewed uh we talked to Jeff Samaria about right. is How uh, to Draw a Bunny. Right. Uh and blanking on uh the name of the artist right now. Roy Johnson. Yeah. So he did a lot of stuff with Lucky Strike logos. Right. And so we were just playing around with logo ideas. We're like, what if we just straight up do the Lucky Strike logo, which Looks really cool, but we're like the color scheme didn't seem quite right. Yeah, and then why did we decide on that color scheme? Was it just inverted? well because we didn't want to like completely steal the logo. Yeah, we didn't want to have it be so literally that. Yeah, and make people think about cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we wanted people to think about Ray Johnson. Yeah, and then there is a subtle hint to another documentary. There is in the graphics, and if you can look, so this is what we'll do. If you can look at our logo. And email us if you can find out the other little hint that's in the logo about a fi- famous documentary. Yeah. And that's uh, supdocpodcast at gmail.com. And, and if you, you get it win. Right, right. We'll say your name. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll shout your name. Oh, out. speaking of that, we have to do our shout out to our Patreon yes, supporter. We do. Which, before, but let's just say you can donate to this podcast on oh, Patreon. Oh, yeah. Patreon. Yeah. Let's talk about that. If you go to patreon.com and type in supdoc podcast or just supdoc probably you'll go to our page and uh please support us um we could use better mics uh we'd like to pay will for his thousands of hours of work mm-hmm. uh george needs his new shoes i do there's holes in these there's holes in those yeah. but it would be great if if people could support us because then we could go to like documentary film festivals and mics and stuff but we would like to thank our main contributor uh angie britsky also my girlfriend, and also has my Netflix password. Uh, but yeah, she's been a loyal Patreon supporter. She's great. And we have uh, 
two other supporters we could shout out. They don't get like the shout out package, but uh, Veronica Belmont, who is a past guest, yeah, and John Schoenberger, who is a San Francisco filmmaker. And so. Veronica, you can hear her on episode twenty seven with Broken Dreams, the uh, Al, Al Jazeera, Jazeera documentary. Yes. Absolutely. So that's. Um, yeah, what clip? Where? What are some favorite moments for you from well, the last one year? One of my favorite talks that we had, and you know what? All of these are my babies. I love them all. But like, I really enjoyed our talk with Jamie DeWolf. Oh yeah, about going clear. Well, that was one of the first ones that we were supposed to book. Yes, we were. That was like kind of like when we were talking about like what is the show going to be like. Right. You said that, and then I told a bunch of people like, oh, we're going to do this. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, that's perfect. Right. Well, a lot of people, a lot of listeners, you probably don't know that we ask our guests to pick their their favorite docs that they have a connection with. Um, we generally don't say, hey, let's do this doc and then find somebody. We, we find a guest, we ask them to pick a doc. But some people come mm-hmm. with like their own doc that they're like, this is the one I really want to talk. And then, of course, directors mm-hmm. of the of the film. So I, I've known Jamie for years and years and years. He's a great – geez, he does everything. He's an artist, performer, writer, spoken word guy. He runs uh, Tourette's Without Regrets in Oakland. It's a great show, and he's been a, he's been uh, a staple. Snap Judgment. Snap Judgment. He's, and, but he's also the great-grandson of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Which is incredible by itself. And Jamie goes around the world and talks about Scientology and his family and L. Ron Hubbard. And when I contacted him, Going Clear had just dropped. Had I think, just yeah. dropped on yeah. HBO. And he really wanted to talk about this, which was amazing. And George and I met up with him at his house in Oakland at a very early time for three performers. I think it was like 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was pretty, it was early for all of us. It was early. So Jamie, the entire episode is great, but this one particular uh, clip I really was, I felt like had some weight to it because Jamie talks about being the only one in his family that would actually come out and talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Right, they were too afraid. They were too afraid to talk about it. And Jamie uh, kind of makes a parallel between um, it makes a parallel between L. Ron Hubbard and Stephen King, and talks about how like uh, L. Ron Hubbard was basically the same kind of person as and he said basically like Stephen if Stephen King had written a book and then basically said you know pay me millions of dollars and you can read this book and then you'll get more information <laughs> you yeah. know it's this is the same kind of thing so we'll, we'll listen to that yeah. Clip. yeah. To me, this shit is not cute. It's not funny South Park jokes. It's not like quasi weird. It's like it's like this guy was a this guy like destroyed people. Like he like raped their minds for his own amusement, money, and malice. And you know what I mean. And now he left a, behind an army of robots who are perpetuating his same blueprints. But it's like. Yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, Scientologists, they believe in aliens and shit. And what I always point out is that that's actually, you only find out about the aliens mostly, or at least that whole Xenu, evil galactic overlord thing. You only find that out when you're way deep mm-hmm. in the church at that point. Like, you're so, you're like, and the whole, the, the tragedy of it is that you've literally been paying to brainwash yourself. It's like, by the time you get right. to OT level three, you're literally hypnotizing yourself. You're sitting in a room by yourself, reading and talking to these dead alien souls that possess your body. So my point is always that, like, okay, that may sound hilarious on paper, but think how fucked up you have to be that you even get to that point mm-hmm. and that you would even buy that from, like, a, you are paying for that from a sci-fi author, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, who's going to be like, okay, I have this secret, but it's going to cost you $75,000, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's true, you know, and... One of the points I always talk about is it's like, you know, if Stephen King wrote a chapter about werewolves and then he said, okay, but this one is not only true, but it's going to cost you like a quarter million dollars to read it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find out the real story of werewolves and you're like, oh, Stephen King wants the real story of werewolves. You know, I mean, that's just the way that it works. I mean, it's also just the tragedy of it, you know, meeting people have lost their family and lost aunts, uncles and shit like that. So, I mean, stuff for like going clear, it's like I champion all the way it's a very it's a very pivotal turning point mm-hmm. and it matters so much to so many people across the world that someone finally said fuck you and just took a shot that bit i mean it's the most watched documentary in hbo's history you know what i mean it's like it's had massive repercussions already and now all of the media and everybody else is like oh shit 
Can we talk about this now? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, so that was the uh, clip from uh, episode 16 with Jamie DeWolf. Going clear. Uh, about going clear. And I also want to mention that after we posted this oh, yeah. episode, <laughs> we got a, or I got an email. You did. I got an I, email I not, yeah. from the the group anonymous yeah that basically said um thank you so much for doing the interview with jamie dewolf and about exposing scientology and as a gift here is a complete transcript of the podcast <laughs> well before they said that they just said be on the lookout for something from us oh right, right, right. <laughs> so that right. was actually yeah. the more ominous part of it yeah where you were at first not sure like well I think that they like what I'm doing, yeah, yeah. but you don't want anonymous to be like, "Hey, uh, be on the lookout for something." Yeah, and, like you know, on if, the web. If anyone who doesn't think that that's not a lot of stuff, uh, like a lot of work or anything, I've done transcription before. Uh, it is it is very tedious. Yeah, uh, and for a discussion as kind of that kind of goes as many places as Jamie's does. Uh, and the amount of words he packs into a single like uh, one minute of audio. Uh, oh, he talks. It, it, was, it was a very big undertaking for uh, whoever took that on. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a great so, gift. And to be contacted by anonymous, and also in that episode, Jamie telling us that we are now probably going to be followed by Scientology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which literally ha- yesterday. I mean, it's maybe because I in Los Feliz and like I'm near the center. I did have people try to hand me stuff multiple times. Very well dressed people, but um, do they ever just say, "Hey, George, use your first name"? You're like, oh, <laughs> no, that up. would have been that would have been interesting. Yeah, um, the, yeah, I was a little bit like freaked out by that too. But you're right, transcribing does suck. The only okay, I have I I want to be on the good side of anonymous. They did combine me and Paco into one person in the transcript, though, which is fair. That's fair because they just wanted Jamie's words, right? Right. And like it didn't matter. It's like we're just known as Supdoc. Yeah. I yeah. think which is fine. I like uh, Anonymous. You did a great thing, and we're happy thank with you, that. Anonymous, yes, thank you. Please don't take down my computer. Please transcribe uh, other episodes yes. if you would like. Yeah. Um, um, and so uh, uh, another um, clip that we have. Um, Our second live show. Our second live show, and I love doing live shows. Do you like doing live shows? Yeah. You know, that was really fun. Um, it's. I don't know if we really explained in this one. Uh, we did one during Sketchfest, and we had uh, two of our guests come on as characters, oh, yeah. which was in reference to the movie we were talking about, which was Heavy Metal Parking Lot. So I say, check out that episode. It's Mary Van Note and Nick Stargu, DJ Real. Episode 22. At the end of, of episode 22. But right now, uh, this is a clip of Chris Thayer uh, talking about his past being in bands. And well, this is... Can we bring up to who else was on? Because we had right, we had a big panel for Sketchfest. Uh, it was a live at Piano Fight. David Bory and Emily Heller, who's uh, an incredible comedian, uh, also from San Francisco. Yeah, and we showed both Heavy Metal Parking Lot and uh, Neil Diamond Parking Lot. Yeah. So this is Chris talking about his band, right? Yes. Yeah. This clip is Chris there talking about his band that he had in high school, and it's uh, one of the funniest stories I've heard. Yeah, and it's, it's good stuff. Let's listen to it. I had a handful of, of short-lived bands that I would convince my musician friends to start a side project, but my hope was really that they would want to do this permanently. <laughs> 
it happened time and time again. We would practice two times, play a show, record the songs, and break up right away. <laughs> um, but the video I think I showed, I was in a band called The Clit Smashers when I was 16. <laughs> oh, don't you have to know where the clit is before you can call a band that? That's how you no way, you wrote, a, you wrote a song about virginity. You can fake smash clits, right? I guess so. We're just, you're the, be the artist you want to be. You know? not, not, not knowing where the clit is is how you smash it. You're just like... It was a, a thing that came up in an instant messenger conversation with my friend, and he was just talking about how he feels clumsy with people. Like, he's always just smashing their clit on accident when he was, like, fooling around with people. And High I was school, like, huh? we should start a band. <laughs> <laughs> I like how your, your reaction to that is not, we should stop being friends, but rather, let's become creatively entwined as well. Yeah. Let's get this idea out in the world. <laughs> this is a relationship I need to further. Yeah. So we started this band and we practiced uh, maybe two or three times. We t- played two shows and then the video that I showed was uh, I was like, yeah, 16. Um, I did all this dumb shit during the show. I just was really into having like antics during the show. But one of the things was that I I was wearing a bathrobe for some reason <laughs> and all this other dumb shit. My hair was like dyed jet black at the time and I had like a Spock sort of haircut. Oh yeah, you had one of those, yeah. And I had like little, little like heart stickers under my eyes and uh, I had no shirt on and I had a bow tie on. <laughs> and, uh, but at one point I pulled out some glue out of my pocket and I was just putting it on my face and then I pulled some scissors out of my pocket and I cut my hair off and I glued it on my face like a mustache. <laughs> Wow. What were the other people in your band wearing? Um, our friend Kyle found a shirt in my f- other friend Anthony's closet that just, it was like a baseball shirt, three quarter sleeves. Uh-huh. And for some reason, Anthony just had this at the ready, hidden in his closet, a shirt that in the thinnest marker, Sharpie writing, that just said, I love boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, and that's then, a really good shirt. That's then, a great shirt. And then Anthony, I think you can buy that at Lilith Fair. <laughs> yeah. Anthony was wearing no shirt, but he was wearing two silk scarves and an, like an X as a shirt across his chest. Okay. And a Jason mask. <laughs> <laughs> who who came to see you? Um, <laughs> all of our friends, and one of them actually, um, I punched him in the balls really hard, and then he blacked out. Oh, is that, that part show? of your stage? Antics as well? It was part of the antics, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. I didn't mean to do that, but it did happen, and I don't I mean, feel bad about you, it. <laughs> if, you, if you go to a Clit Smasher show, yeah. you got to expect get punched something, in the balls. something bad to happen to your crush. We played, a, we played a cover of this really bad punk band called the Lower East Side Stitches, and oh. there's a song called Jungle Man, and one of the lyrics is, I pick up a rock, I hit him in the cock, I'm a mean motherfucker, I'm a jungle man. And I was singing that, and I was in the audience, and I was like, I pick up a rock, and I was like, I hit him in the cock, and I just socked him a full force <laughs> in the balls. And that, there's a video of this show, and you see from behind the audience, he's like, m- sort of like wavering a little bit, and he leans into somebody and he whispers something, and I, they're ki- they think he's kidding, and he's going, I can't, I'm having trouble seeing. <laughs> and our friend that is listening to him just shoves him, he's like, yeah, right, fuck. You. <laughs> and then he kind of like stumbles and then people rush to pick him up and then they, they start taking him outside and then the video just cuts to black. It's like the end of the show. And then later he's like shaking like a Beavis and Butthead cartoon. He's like, oh, oh, oh. He's like, oh you punched me so hard I blacked out. And I, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm really sorry. I didn't know. I was like, you can hit me in the balls if you want to. He's like, no, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even, it didn't even hurt. So I just blacked nice out. That was the thing. The key thing was he goes, it didn't even hurt. I just blacked out. Wow. It sounds like it hurt. <laughs> I mean, he didn't feel it. What a weird party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's Chris's story about yeah. his famed high school band, the Clit Smashers. And that was a fun panel, right? Like Bory, Emily Heller, Chris Thayer, David Bory, Mary Van Note. DJ Real, uh, Estelle, pretty. If we could actually have promoted that Emily was on it, that yeah. would have helped. But yeah. uh, you know, we did a free show, and it's really challenging doing these live shows. But it's really good that we have Will Scoville helping us out with all our production stuff. Will, uh, do you like working on these live shows? Man, you know, I started doing live shows, uh, George, because you brought me in to do those last weekend or the Cinecave shows. 
Um, no, sorry, the twenty-four hour shows or like the uh... no. This was when uh, you, we did. Uh, I did those four shows in September uh, where we were trying to do the the tape. For oh, the Bird burger like, recordings. Yeah. That, yeah, that we kind of abandoned. Yeah. Um, yeah, and th- at that point, I had never. Um, I was just getting into audio. I kind of didn't know what I was doing. See, um, I didn't know that. I thought you I, knew what you were doing. That's I, I didn't tell you guys because I was trying to, you know, work that out. Um, but it it kind of gave like the the Cinecave kind of gave me a space to to learn how to do that kind of stuff properly, uh, which was really great. Um, so when it came to doing stuff like the the SF two point uh, show you I knew that room already. Yeah. yeah like, well, I, I had never done that room before, but I knew what I was doing well enough. And you know, doing stuff like that, I had through Sketchfest. You know, I had I had done shows at other other venues. I did a you know a couple episodes of Risk and Star Talk with uh, Bill Nye and Eugene Merman. And um, yeah, and, and, and people may not know that you work on like what three other podcasts right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done a whole mess of them. I was doing, um, uh, a show called give me fiction uh, right. in the Cinecave. Uh, I've done that, that show. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of ended right around the time you guys asked me to come up and start working for you guys. Yeah. Um, which was a perfect time, uh, in it, you know, it was nice that it was a show that I could, mostly work on from home it was not a show where i had to be somewhere necessarily um like right now i'm at home uh and um yeah it just kind of worked out and it was something that you know the show itself was doing different stuff with audio that i'd never done before uh and making a different kind of a show so it all kind of you know it taught me something new yeah that room um, piano fight is a little boomy it's a little hard to I think it is yeah mike and it's just something that, like, you know, every room is different. Um, I know the basic setup. I, I do the best I can with what I got. Um, it is fun. It is, like, what I really like is having that audience there and getting that, yeah. like, immediate yeah. reaction. Uh, I'd like to do more stuff talking. like that with an audience. Yeah, I think I think this show would be great for, like, film festivals that have documentaries. That have oh, you yeah. And I, George and I host panels and will to engineer it and... You you know what? Well, this would be a great opportunity for you to plug your other podcasts that you do. Oh yeah! Uh, right now, I still produce um, the Escapist Comics podcast. Uh, that is a podcast done for a local comic book shop, the uh, Escapist Comics Bookstore in Berkeley, uh, which is really uh, a, a great place. Um, uh, a really knowledgeable staff. I had uh, the staff on there with me. Uh, Jesse Hat. Jesse Hat. Yeah. Uh, and and Jessica Balboni, uh, Jacob Rubin uh, from TV's uh, King of the Nerds uh, is also a host. Uh, and uh, that one is a lot of like brand new comics. And then there's a lot of interviews with the comic creators, artists, and writers. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we haven't had a comics on. person on yet or done a comics oh, yeah. uh, doc no, yet. Yeah. That's something I'd like to cross over because uh, you know the, the the caliber of comics writers and artists coming out right now are really magnificent. Um, and if you want to do the crossover of kind of documentary, there's a great uh, it's being serialized right now as a monthly, uh, but it's out as a collection too. The Hip Hop Family Tree by Ed Piscor. Oh yeah, you know people talk to me about that one. Yeah, man, it's good. It is like a a very deep breakdown of uh, of of the history, a history of American hip hop nice. from, he, he says like, I'm definitely coming at it from one angle and I'm leaving stuff out, but and it is uh, a, a fairly comprehensive history of one string of American hip hop. And, and you also work on some fiction podcasts. I do. Uh, I do, um, uh, tales from the Swan hotel, which is a radio drama, uh, which was created by myself and Thaddeus Ellenberg, who writes and directs every episode. And Paco's um, been on that, right? Mm-hmm. Paco's been on that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I love times. that podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, and um, But uh, it's, you know, it kind of comes through. It's a really great show. Um, it It's one of those where I kind of jumped in not knowing anything about how I should be doing this, and it's kind of worked itself out. Um, and it's on a, it's on a roll right now. There's stuff coming out, you know, 
at least once a month, and it's pretty high quality stuff. Cool. It's a lot of great people. Um, and then uh, Thaddeus also has one called Casual Friday. It's a short fiction with just him. And I know I'm missing one. It's probably this one because I usually have to talk about it too. <laughs> right on. That's great. But I think now, that's about it one... I'm working on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we so we did a chunk of episodes before we brought Will on board. Um, one of the earliest ones we did is an interview with Beth Lissick, who is a now New York-based author, performer, uh, longtime Bay Area person. Yeah. And uh, we both knew her kind of independently sure. from different stuff. And she was in town, and we asked her what she wanted to talk about, and she wanted to talk about The Imposter. Yeah. Which is kind of like a true crime, Yeah, but it's got so many weird twists and turns an to it. amazing document. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it and then listen to episode three with Beth, Beth Lissick talking about the imposter. The clip we have, though, with Beth is kind of – it ties into a later episode of ours, episode 24, because she talks about – now, the, the imposter is about basically being conned. And in this clip you're about to hear, Beth Lissick talks about being conned by no one other than J.T. Leroy. Right, or what aspect of J.T. Leroy? Well – well, we'll get into it, but um, yeah, we also do have, like, if you're interested in the J.T. Leroy uh, phenomenon, we've got this episode 24 where we talk to Marjorie Sturm, the director of The Cult of J.T. Leroy, but right now here is uh, Beth Lissick, who is a Bay Area literary person who got suckered into the J.T. Leroy camp. Have you ever been conned? Ooh, let me think, let me think. Um... I mean, the one time, oh my God, this is just an embarrassing one, but but because now everybody knows who this person is, I think, around, around oh. San Francisco, the basketball oh. player. Oh, no. Oh, I no. thought you were going to talk about JT Leroy. Oh, well, oh. I was conned by I was conned by JT Leroy. Are you serious? Yeah, for... But that's a little bit different because it's not like it's a completely fabricated person, so it's not like a, someone to compare it to, but it was like someone of a different, of a, a, a un, well, right. There's a lot of conning gender was going questionable. on. Yeah, like what yeah, was that there. there was so much conning going on. That, but 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 I got an email from JT Leroy, and I actually read at JT Leroy's first book party. He oh, was no so way. shy and couldn't be in front of a crowd that he picked local authors to read for him. And and so at um, a different light, I think it was in the Castro. I read an excerpt of Sarah, and I just remember being like, "Oh my god, this it's poor kid! This is so." But he Harper. emailed me, yeah. reached out to me, and was like, I, "I'm a fan of your work, blah blah." And I didn't get as deep into it as a lot of people did, right. you know. Um, but yeah, that one. But I know I was just con once on uh, on Hate Street by this guy who, like, and this is so great too because I was probably 20 years old and. He wore a basketball uh, a jersey and like a sweatsuit, and he would carry around a basketball and say that he had a basketball scholarship and that he had like lost, you know, he'd oh. lost his apartment and, you know, this whole thing. But he was just such a, like a sweet, good looking man that I was just like, I, he has to be telling the truth. And then I, and I gave him, you know, a couple bucks or something. And then I just remember, years later like five years later being in the hate and having the same no guy walk way. up to me with his basketball and i was just like you are not getting me this time i was <laughs> Did just you like say I that can't. To him? yeah i was nice. like i can't believe you're t- still telling the story yeah. that's because it was such but it was such an involved story and the thing yeah. you're saying about the details he had so many details about his daughter and his right. family and where he grew up and the scholarship that was supposed to come through and like he had so much to say right. that it was almost like he was you know like it was like the dazzle camouflage of so many um details that I was just like, well, one of my favorite things about that clip is that neither of us really knew what the, the documentary was called the cult of JT Leroy. We're like, yeah, what was it? Cause we, it just came out. It was (laughs) just at the Roxy. Yeah. And I was really interested in seeing it because I lived in the Bay area during the JT Leroy thing. And I was, went to a book reading that JT was at, um, and it was really interesting. And also I, I talk about my, my, in, not in this clip, but in this episode, I talk about being conned myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she also talks about a guy I remember too, like a basketball player on hate street that would, ask oh, yeah. people for money. For I think that is in the clip, right? That's yes, in the clip. Yeah. yeah. So people just heard that. Yeah. Um, I have to, I have to say that that JT Leroy episode might be my favorite one. That, oh yeah. That nice. On. Were like you that there? Documentary I was, feel like you weren't there for that one. He wasn't. No, I wasn't. Uh, I had to talk to Marjorie, uh, briefly through email to get the documentary and I, and I watched it, you know, and I was like, man, like 
because I had that's something I had heard a little bit about, but um, it wasn't until I saw the documentary that I was like, wow, that was really fascinating and it's really a well. Great documentary, and it's great that oh, yeah. um, Marjorie actually lives just a few blocks from me in <laughs> yeah, San Francisco, yeah. and she came over. It was also a day when we recorded that when there was a lot of construction. That was on. one of those days, yeah. <laughs> Outside of my house. Speaking of that phenomenon, uh, I haven't seen it. You maybe have heard Laura Albert, the uh, puppeteer of the entire JT Leroy phenomenon, put out her own documentary. I think got got like Sundance uh, did a lot, bunch of uh, got got some distribution for right. it. Yeah. So uh, there is that story coming out also, but. Can you trust anything coming out of Laura yeah, Albert is a big question. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, definitely watch J- Cult of J.T. Leroy. I definitely listen to our episode 24. Yeah, then go to episode 24 and give it a listen. Um, you want to set up our next? Yeah, so uh, a big person in the podcast world and also uh, someone who grew up in the Bay Area, Jesse Thorne, who runs Maximum Fun. You uh, Paco knew Jesse because you'd booked his sketch group. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day when I my I had a comedy show called the Romaine Event Comedy Show that was ran from two thousand and five to twenty fifteen, basically in San Francisco. And uh, I got an email from Jesse. He was in a group called Prank the Dean mm-hmm. when they were at Santa Cruz the university there, and he wanted his group to be able to perform at the Romaine Event. Yeah, and they did. And uh, I just kind of kept in touch with him, but he went on to like fame and and glory with his his show Bullseye, um, and his his network, network Maximum yeah. Fun, and you can hear him on NPR. But he was kind enough to sit down with us. Yeah, we got um, to use their studio in the uh, Maximum Fun studios, and uh, they have a very professional booth. Uh, it, it and this was a fun talk. That Jesse Thorne is the one, like his writings about how to basically set up a very simple podcast is what got me into oh. uh, doing this whole thing. So his technical know-how, he was one of the few people to write about the technical side of, yeah. of podcasting like early on. He's a pioneer in podcasting. Yeah, he really is. Um, and he, he basically wrote about getting a very expensive setup and I had to be like, okay, what can I do similarly for much, much cheaper? But it was a, it was a great starting point. Well, this is one thing I really like about the entire podcast world, being a 90s kid. It's like, it reminds me of zine culture. It reminds Mm -hmm. me of like the DIY, like Simple Machines putting out a guide to DIY, putting out your own records, you know, so like that kind of document and that kind of like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think Jesse is considered kind of like a cheerleader for the entire movement and like creativity in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, He chose a very uh, creative sort of genre busting Doc also, which was fast, cheap, and out of control. And now we, so what happens when you get uh, people that have ADD in a room together, uh, (laughs) which is mostly me, uh, we kind of sideline a lot. And there's stuff that's like, it's not really relevant to the topic at hand, but it's still like an entertaining conversation. So there's this clip that we cut out of our talk about fast, cheap, and out of control with Jesse Thorne. So this is not, this is from the cutting room floor. Uh, but we just got, and this is like the second time. I think when we talked to Sam McFeeders, we started talking about like uh, factory farming and meat production also. But this is just a, a snippet of like, why is Jesse Thorne so into Babe Pig in the City? <laughs> we get into that in this clip here from episode 13. Uh, you know what? I went to the, one of these, uh, I went to one of these, uh, I went to a rescue farm. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of those, yeah. Oh, Christ. So here's what I thought it was, as sold to me by some friends who must be vegetarians and I didn't realize it. I thought it was a place where, you know, animals that are rescued from farms for a variety of reasons, like some of the animals here were like from 4-H kids that didn't want to sell their pets for slaughter and that kind of thing, where they all like have a happy life and they tell you that, that this is a really great place for animals and you should treat animals well. Actually, what it is, it's like one of those vegetarian videos. Oh. Like, seriously, they, okay, so they show a video at the beginning, and they're like, there's no footage of slaughter in this video, just so you know. And I have my three-year-old and my one-and-a-half-year-old with me. Now, there's footage of everything except slaughter in this oh. video. Like, I, we had to, like, walk away with our kids. And then the whole time, 
the whole time they'd be like, I'd just be like, I just want to visit with some animals, you know? Oh, I yeah. I just want to visit. Yeah. I just want to pet something. Yeah, like, I will totally give you some money to take care of these animals. I will totally be motivated to, like, buy more responsible, responsibly raised food, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm not a vegetarian, and I don't really intend on becoming one. I, right. That's, like, one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. I'm, I, and I totally respect anyone who is a vegetarian. I think it's a great decision for you. But it's not mine. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, geez. It's just, like, Jesus Christ, is this what I signed up for? <laughs> I thought I was going to visit some pigs. Yeah. I thought I was going to pet a pig. It's just, like, it doesn't replicate. It's a, it replicates all the cramped cages and all, like, the feces laid in. They just, like, the corporate the, farms. Before stuff. you're allowed to pet any of the animals, they have to to give you a 15 minute lecture uh, about corporate about corporate farming nightmares yeah and like at no point are they are they like here's some ways that you could buy food that isn't from corporate farms it's just like, like don't eat meat <laughs> there's a part where they're telling you all about how if you drink milk you're basically uh, you're basically consigning male calves to all calves are male right is that think, that's the word for so, yeah. boy baby cow <laughs> Yeah. No, th- no, because no, calves are to, yeah, both. calves are both. Okay, yeah. all the boy calves are are they have to become veal calves because of something I don't know. And so, if you drink milk, you, milk, you're basically locking cows in cages that they can't move around in, and, and then having them killed and taken away from their mother. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that really follows directly. I think that they're related. Yes. So that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and that was, uh, we were ostensibly, the, the topic was the Errol Morris documentary, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. But yeah, we got into a lot of sidelines. Yeah, uh, including me and my time with Mr. T. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. T experience, <laughs> which is, uh, I'm glad he's still with us, man. With yeah, the rate too. of celebrity deaths, yeah. I'm real worried about, God, when just, is Dylan going? Yeah. Not to say, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's, it's going to happen is yeah. all I'm saying. He's not immortal. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Yeah. But um, so I think that uh, He might be. He might be. You never know. <laughs> and Mr. T just had a birthday, which I, I have a video on YouTube called uh, Mr. T send a, mis- a video card. Happy birthday, Mr. T card, whatever. It got like, I was like, why is this getting so many views today? And I found out it's because it was his birthday. Oh, okay. And I, it's just a video of Mr. T saying happy birthday to me. Oh, nice. A few years ago, but um, you have some other weird celebrity like you, you toured with Dustin Diamond. <laughs> yes, who's back in jail? <laughs> okay, he got back in jail. Yeah, I want to get him on the show. Yeah, he would. I'm sure he would love to. Yeah, nothing like uh, some uh, B 80s B celebrities mm-hmm. that I've done a lot of work Dude, with. Mr. T is an A celebrity from yeah, the 80s. That's true. That is. True. He was the biggest. There was no one bigger than Mr. T in like the mid 80s. Yeah, you can't be a black man with a mohawk and not be referencing that, Mr. T. That is true. Point. So um, I guess that's what we were, we're gonna. That's been a year. Yeah, I you know for f- fifty two weeks, every other week we should only have twenty, what like six episodes. Right. We beat that by like four. Yeah, we've we like we've beat our biweekly rate. Yeah. I guess we did drop three episodes at once in right. the beginning though. So, but and we have some great episodes to come. Like we we do uh, up uh, up front. Let's talk about the the. Let's talk about the docs and not the guests. Maybe sure because we've we're doing. Jodorowsky's Dune. Yep. Uh, Deep Water. How to Draw a Bunny. How to Draw a Bunny. Yeah. And uh, well, we did talk about we we are we did interview Rodney Asher in this apartment. Yeah. Rodney Asher, the director of Room Two Thirty Seven. Uh, also, I really thought I had a great time doing the William Hudson uh, episode where we talk about Room Two Thirty Seven and the Carter. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, you were going to say, we did have Todd Glass on the show yeah. recently. Yeah, I talked to Todd at his house. He wanted to talk about Religious, um, which is a Bill Maher uh, documentary that he made in, I think, 2008. Yeah, it's eight. That something sounds like right, that. yeah. So if, and Todd's an incredible comedian, super funny guy. He's brilliant. He's also extremely nice. And you, he had just had you on the Todd Glass show. He did. So I just recorded an episode of the Todd Glass podcast show. Um, um, actually last night and it was a ton of fun. It's going to be a two-parter. It actually drops, uh, tomorrow, which is Friday, May 27th. Uh, and one of the, for me, what a great, uh, part of it was that I, I, 
he I got my own jingle, which yeah. is part of the show. And in it, he mentions the Sup Doc podcast. Nice. Which is incredible. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and which is great because I'm super proud of this podcast. Uh, I love the work that all three of us have put into this, um, into this show. And it's for me, it's one of the few things that I do that I can go back and listen to and or watch because I can't <laughs> watch or listen to anything I've ever done uh-huh. without cringing and going into the fetal position. That's how I feel about all your material too, Paco. <laughs> Nicely done. Set up. Nicely done. I give the man a softball. <laughs> you see what he does with it. But uh, I also want to mention we have a brand new spiffy little website, sup.podcast.com, yeah. where you can see all of our episodes displayed nicely. Um, yeah, it's got a it built-in web player. If you don't want to like download it, you can mm-hmm. just play it off the website itself. Yeah. Uh, it looks really nice. Paco spent a long time working on it. And uh, yeah, I like the color scheme. Color scheme's nice. And uh, functionality. Yeah. yeah, so we've got that. We've got the Twitter. Uh, we've got the Facebook. Yeah, I'm, like, we sound like old men right now. We are old men. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's, it's accurate. We have a podcast portrayal. about documentaries. Yeah, this yeah. is old man territory. But here, and here's the thing this is the heartstrings portion, which is we just obviously this could not even happen or go on without listeners. So we want to thank everyone that listens to the show. If you dig it, please tell your friends, tell yeah. your enemies, for, for Christ's sakes. Who yeah. Cares? And uh, rate us in iTunes if yes. you feel the desire i've been getting really nice comments just in like personal facebook messages about the show someone told me that he he hates all podcasts except for ours and denzel washington (laughs) podcast yeah so um yeah (laughs) uh that was like i wish i could get that in writing all right uh but uh and thanks a lot will it's been great working with will on all of these and check out all of his shows also. Uh, check out Paco's website for all the shows he's doing. I have like three shows booked for the next two months. And <laughs> one of them's in San Francisco. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just trying to make my way through this L.A. Uh, hustle, yeah. you know. So, oh, yeah, well, follow it, us on Twitter at Podcast. Our website's SupDocPodcast.com. My website's PacoRomaine.com. Uh, GeorgeTheChen.com tumblr.com i didn't bother getting a domain uh thanks so much and here's to another year thanks guys thanks for listening you can find episodes of SupDoc on itunes soundcloud stitcher and TuneIn. please review subscribe and rate and you can follow us on twitter at SupDoc podcast and online at subdocpodcast.com this show is produced by will scoville and our theme music is by david siegel if you want to suggest a documentary or a future guest, please email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.